Good evening. Good evening. It's good to see all of you. We're gonna we're gonna sing tonight. I'm glad that you're here tonight. I'm uh, I guess I'm thinking about singing a special, so you guys may have to sing with me. We'll we'll try to do God of the Mountain. So if you would go ahead and stand, I'm gonna have Brother Gary Bryling to open us in a word of prayer. Our God saves. In morning time. 
If you would, go ahead and stand. We're going to sing one more song. It's entitled Goodness of God.
Thankful for Jamie, I was mouthing as I went off the stage and said, Jamie's going to sing, and he did. So, always thankful for that. Uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, find 1 Kings chapter 2. We're going through the book of 1 Kings, and uh, I get a lot of messages and, and text messages from people going, I don't understand why you keep preaching through these books in the Old Testament. Do you not know what's in there and how difficult that is? And I always say, well, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I believe that the Lord's Word is valuable, it's true, it's profitable. And if you remember where we've been in 1 Kings, King David has came to the end of his life, and I've been doing nursing home visits this week, and I've went and visited so many of our people who uh, I remember even in my last 15 years of being here almost as, as younger and vibrant, and many of them are are, are wheelchair bound or, or bed fast. And I just think about this picture of King David, this mighty warrior, this mighty king who had slain his tens of thousands, the Bible says, and he has come to the end of his life and his kingdom is being torn apart by a son who thinks it belongs to him. And yet there's a young man by the name of Solomon who God has promised the kingdom to. And David, as we've watched in these chapters, watched his family kind of pull itself apart, but through the intervention of godly people and the will and purposes of God, King Solomon inherits the throne, and, and, um, and King David has died. And if you remember, King Solomon, in his official capacity, has been executing certain judgments to establish 
the kingdom. And you say, well, Jake, what does that mean for me? Well, many times we celebrate our faith that we are forgiven, that we are born again, that we are children of God, and we should. But many times we forget that God does not just save us to keep us from hell. God has a purpose and plan for our life. Tonight, maybe you're a young couple just starting your life. You can read through this book and see how King Solomon, while he was just a young man, took this great task of having to inherit an influential father, but yet became his own person, became his own family that God could use. Maybe today you're saying, well, Jake, how do I use this in my life? Well, maybe today you are a believer in a workplace and you need to know something. If you will not be the example and leader in your workplace, I promise you some heathen will be. If you don't think that it matters as a parent how you lead your children and grandchildren, you need to know that if you take the influence that God has given you and waste it or do not use it, that Satan will raise someone in your child's life to influence them for the negative. And so when I read the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, for me as a pastor, it reminds me that this is the Lord's church. It's not the pastor's church. It's not the deacon's church. It's not the trustee's church. It's not the underwater basket weaving convention's church. It is the Lord's church. And as long as we will do things His way, even if it makes no sense to us, even if it doesn't seem like what the world would have us to do, that God always is faithful to His people, always faithful to His promises. I can think back over the years now looking back when someone will say, well, Jake, I'll take my money and go somewhere else. And I can think now, I should have said, well, take your money and go somewhere else. The Lord doesn't need it. But how many times the fear would set in and I'd be like, well, you know, I understand. And, and, and those moments where it should just be, God, what do you want? Or someone would say, well, do you know how many people in our family and how many people attendance will drop next week? And then the flesh in me should have said, don't worry, God can restore and replenish. But the flesh in me said, oh no, right? What, what happens when, when that two rows is empty or that row is empty? And so the flesh begins to fight the battle. And then I, what I would say to you is this, that if you want to have the influence on your family, on your marriage, on your children, on your workplace, you have to understand that God wants you to be a leader in a broken world. That's been our sermon series, Leading in a Broken World. Using the influence that God has given us to make a difference. Tonight I want you to know that what this world needs is not less of the influence of God's people. God's people do not need to be on the retreat. We don't need to be hiding in cubby holes. We don't need to be running from the problems of the world. We are to be light in a dark world. We don't put a light under a basket. No, we set it out that we might shine into the darkness. We are to be salt, that we are seasoning, that we are preserving the things that we can be involved in. And so tonight my challenge to you is do not retreat, but move forward. Don't step back from what God has called you. Step forward knowing that God has a purpose and a plan for you. It's interesting because King Solomon has had to execute some people. He has had to pronounce judgment. He has had to make some decisions that no one would want. And in chapter 2, we're going to look at a little bit more of that tonight. But I want you to turn to chapter 3 with me. 
Because when you have kind of seen all that Solomon has gone through, all of the turmoil, the problems that he has faced, in verse 6, we see this prayer that he has. And many times we just think that this prayer was something that one day he just had an encounter with God. But he has had to order the execution of many different people. He has tried to show mercy to certain people. He has watched his brother try to steal the crown. And so I have really prayed about this. I feel like when Solomon has this encounter with God, he's probably thinking, I'm sinking here. Everything around me doesn't make sense. I need something for the problem that I am facing. The turmoil that I am going through. And tonight that might be you. You might be saying, Jake, our family couldn't get any more broken. Our situation couldn't get any more worse. Our future couldn't be any more up in the air. And tonight I want you to know that Solomon's prayer is one that we should want. Look in verse 6 of 1 Kings chapter 3. And Solomon said, and if you want to read verse 5 with me, you can. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. Now, I don't want you to miss this. He wasn't like a ten-year-old boy, but in regards to his father, he was inexperienced. He was a novice. I mean, he is looking at the problems of the day going, I am not prepared for this. I mean, if you think about it, think of all the turmoil that his father had and all of the disagreements that his brother had. He probably went through life thinking, I don't want the job. I don't want the headache. I don't want the betrayals. I don't want the turmoil. Do you know the things they say about my mother and my father, what they've done, what they've experienced? It goes on and says, I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people who you have chosen a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant the understanding heart. Could have swore we've heard a lot about that word here lately. To judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Pray with me. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. And tonight we pray that you would give us a heart of understanding. Lord, knowing how to raise our children, knowing how to influence our grandchildren, knowing how to be the husbands or wife that you would call us to be. Father, give us the understanding of heart to know what you want for this church Lord, tonight we pray that we cannot do it without you. We don't claim to. We don't claim the ability. Tonight we need you. And so, Father, tonight I pray that you would give us hearts that are moldable, that are humble, and that are teachable, all for your glory. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
And so now as we go back to chapter 2, knowing how David, how Solomon is viewing things in chapter 3, he says, I'm inadequate. Right? He says, I don't have the skill. That's humility. He says, God, these people are numerous. They are great. They are, they are something special. He recognizes the task that is in front of him. And tonight, if you want to be used by God, that is a good place to start with humility. Lord, I, I don't know how to be the husband you want me to be. Lord, I don't know how to be the wife you want me to be on my own. Lord, I have no idea how to be the pastor of this church that you want me to be. Lord, I have no idea how to go into my place of employment with all those heathens that I work with and how to be a light in a dark world. Lord, I need you. But the second is, don't forget the task that God has given you. Friends, you need to be reminded that you matter. That God died upon a cross for you. That if God was done with you, He would have taken you home. And so while you might think that your task is insignificant, you're saying, Jake, I'm just putting in the days till I can retirement. That's not how God views it. God views you on mission until He's done with you. You say, Jake, I've just got another year and all my kids are raised, they're out of the house, they're someone else's problem. That's not how God views the time that you have. You say, well, Jake, you just don't understand. I, I've been a deacon for 72 years and I'm ready to kick back and retire and let someone else deal with the problems. That's not how God views it. You say, well, Jake, there's smarter people than me. There's better educated people than me. But friends, you cannot devalue the task that God has given you. And what I see from most Christians is this. They do not understand that God has a purpose for them. They don't wake up in the morning saying, God, how are you going to use me today? We usually wake up on Monday thinking, if it was only Friday... Right? Or we wake up thinking, Lord, if I can just get to my next vacation. Or Lord, if I can just get to this time where I can enjoy, instead of realizing that God, while you might not be king of Israel, why you might not be the president of the United States, why you might not be the CEO of a company, that God has you where He has you for a valuable mission. A valuable purpose. And that's what Solomon recognized. That he wasn't enough on his own. And that what God wanted from him mattered. I ask you that tonight. If I was to say, would you write on a piece of paper what God is using you to do and why it matters, what would you write? What would you write? Some of you would say, uh, I don't know. Some of you might list a bunch of things. But tonight if I was to ask you, what is the one thing that you believe God is asking of you, that He is sending you to do, that matters the most, what would it be? And when you establish that, are you living in that way that it matters? That it makes a difference? And so as we go through this passage of Scripture tonight, I want you to be thinking of that. What is God asking of me and why it matters? And so in verse 26 tonight, I want to show you an example of mercy. An example of mercy, because as God sends you, you are going to have choices to make. Whether to show mercy, whether to show judgment, whether to show compassion, whether to show accountability. And King Solomon here has some choices. There are some enemies that must be dealt with. 
some people that have hurt his father, who tried to hurt the kingdom. And what we see tonight is a beautiful picture of how we have to navigate the difficulties of broken relationships. I wish I could tell you that you will never have to deal with a broken relationship, but that would be a lie. You might have to deal with an ex-son-in-law, an ex-daughter-in-law. You might have to deal with a mother-in-law, a father-in-law. You might have to deal with a former co-worker, a former church member. You might have to deal with someone who wants nothing to do with you, but yet the circumstances that you are living bring you into close contact with them. And so tonight I hope that you will see this, that there is an example of how to show mercy. Look in verses 26 and 27 with us tonight of chapter 2. And to Abathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abathar from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. And so what happens is, this individual had been with David so many times, but yet had been disloyal the last time. He had not been who God wanted him to be. He had not been who the king wanted him to be. And Solomon says, by all rights, you should be put to death, but I'm going to extend mercy to you. I'm going to extend mercy because of the many years you faithfully served God. Many of the years that you served my father. And so you are going to be shown mercy. Friends, never forget that just because someone fails you, just because someone hurts you, just because someone betrays you, that you should forget all of the ways that God has used them. All of the ways that God has worked through them. All of the ways that God has blessed you because of someone. We must never forget that if we live long enough and have relationships with enough people, that everyone is going to fail. We are going to fail other people. But yet we should be a people of mercy, just like God extends mercy to us. Proverbs, the 28th chapter, verse 13, says it like this. He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. If this is one thing I wish we could teach younger Christians as older Christians, and I know I'm not as, as advanced in age as some of you are, but I'm going to lump myself in with you. Friends, God promised something. If we will confess our sins, He will forgive us. If we will confess our sins, He will show us mercy. How many times have we robbed ourselves of the mercy and forgiveness of God because we haven't wanted other people to know that we're sinners, that we struggle, that we fall short? I promise you that if you get my children alone and ask them about their dad's faults, they can tell you. If I am standing beside them, they probably will not tell as many of them. But if you know anything about the gray girls, they love to tell embarrassing stories about their parents. And I love to tell embarrassing stories about them. So it goes both ways. But it's another thing when it goes from a funny embarrassing story to a sinful embarrassing story. 
But what we must teach our children is that if we will come to God honestly and openly as Christians, that we can find forgiveness. And friends, we are living in a world of broken homes, broken relationships, broken situations. And people need to be reminded that we serve a God who is one who forgives. We serve a God who wants to extend mercy. And the greatest way we as a congregation can exhibit that to a lost and dying world is to show mercy to one another. Being willing to forgive each other as a church family. Be willing to love each other when things fall apart, when things are a struggle. Because the first part of that verse should be a verse of caution. He who covers his sin will not prosper. Friends, as a family, when we cover our sins, we will not have the blessing of God. When we as a church cover our sins instead of confess them, we will not have the blessing of God. As an individual, as a pastor who stands before you numerous times a week and preaches God's Word, if there is sin in my heart, the Bible says that I have grieved the Spirit of God. I have quenched what God is wanting to do through the preaching of His Word. And friends, that should terrify me to stand before you knowing I'm going to have to give account for every word that I say behind this desk if I am doing it on my own. If I'm going to have to stand before God one day and give an account for how I have shepherded you, how I have loved you, how I have rightly handled the Word of God, but yet I have got behind this desk knowing there is unforgiveness or wickedness or sin of some kind in my life. For instance, tonight, if you're a Sunday school teacher, the same is true to you. If you teach children's Sunday school, if you teach vacation Bible school, you need to know that if God doesn't do it, nothing gets done. And if there is unrepentant sin in your life and you are covering it, all of the efforts that you are giving are accomplishing nothing. And so tonight we have this beautiful picture of mercy. But I also want to show you this next example of judgment. Because we see how judgment is also given. Starting in verse 28, we see another character by the name of Joab. If you remember, Joab was King David's best military commander. He led David's armies into numerous victories. But Joab was a man full of vengeance. He murdered two people in cold blood because of what had happened in his life. And so in verse 28, if you'll read this with me and bear with me through these few verses. Then news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah. That was King David's other son who led the rebellion. Though he had not defected to Absalom... That was the other brother who had led a rebellion. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. And King Solomon was told Joab was fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, No, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought back word of the king, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. This is significant because if you were an innocent person and had accidentally murdered someone, that is uh, an accidental death, you could run to the altar, you could hang on to it, and God's mercy would be shown to you. 
And so Joab thought, even though I'm a cold-blooded killer, if I will run to the altar and I will hang on to it, God will have to protect me. Now don't miss that because that's very significant in just a moment. In verse 31 it said, Then the king said to him, Do as he said and strike him down and bury him that you may take away from me and my house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with the sword. Abner the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah, through my father David did not know it. Their blood shall... Therefore return the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah the son of Jehiada went up and struck and killed him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah the son of Jehiada in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok the priest in the place of Abrathar. And so we saw mercy with the last person, but judgment with this. Why? Because the first person had served God with the right motives, but had made a mistake. Joab served, but served with the wrong motives. It was all about himself. But yet don't miss the fact that Joab thought that a religious exercise could save him from the judgment to come. And friends, what we see in this passage of Scripture is what so many Christians think. If I'll just come to church, then I can live however I want. If I can just put my money in the plate, God has to bless me. As long as I serve at church, I can live however I want when I'm at work. And what we see here is that that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your title is at church. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished at church. God knows the heart. And so when you and I come to God, whether it's in an altar like this, whether it's in our own personal closet in prayer time and devotion, God sees the heart. And so when I ask Him to forgive me, God sees whether or not I really want to be forgiven. God sees when I've failed somebody, when I've sinned, when I've hurt someone, when I go to them and say, hey, I've really messed up, I've really sinned, I've really fallen short. God knows when I try to serve Him with the motives I have have, never forget or never convince yourself that religious activity makes you right with God. Or the fact that God has blessed you with a promotion. Or God has blessed the church with a lot of money. Or we've got a lot of people. None of those are signs that the blood of Jesus covers you. It's one way to know Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. And it's the one danger I think I see when we go to church a long time we really begin to convince ourselves sometimes that if we'll just do the right things, even if we really don't want to, God has to bless us. Friends, the greatest tragedy that I see is when we come to worship God, but our heart's not in it. When we come to an hour of prayer and our heart's not in it. When we come to study the Word of God and our heart's not really in it. But we tell ourselves, if we do this, God has to do this. Friends, I know the Bible says about tithing. God says, put me to the test. You just, you just see if I cannot open up the windows of heaven 
and bless you. And I believe that completely. But don't ever believe what Jesse tells you or, or Benny Hinn tells you or these squirrels on television that says, if you give this amount of money, God has to give you this amount of money back. What they have done is they have fallen on the altar and said, as long as you hang on, as long as you dump money in, God has to hear from heaven and work. But friends, He doesn't. But never forget that God doesn't want to not bless you. God wants to work in your life. God wants to work in your marriage. God wants to work in your situation. But He wants you to come to Him honestly. Third and final thing, and I'm almost done. We've seen how you can have mercy. We've seen how you can have judgment. And then we see how the choice determines it all. Look in verse 36 with me. This is probably one of my favorite stories in all of chapter 2. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Build your house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day that you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. If you remember, Shimei uh, hurt King David, and King David said, I won't do anything to you. And so what he says is, as long as you will stay in Jerusalem, you'll stay where I can see you, you won't have an opportunity to be a rebel, you will live. You just can't leave this city. That's a choice. That is offering mercy to someone. He says, but if you do not stay in the city, you will die. Friends, that's the same thing that we hear from the gospel. If you will repent of your sins and call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. But if you reject the free gift of God, if you reject the salvation that is offered to you, you will not inherit eternal life. And so we've looked at mercy, we've looked at judgment, but now we see how it's given to this individual to say, choose for yourself. Will you have life or will you have death? Will you have safety or will you have judgment? Will you have protection or will you be held accountable for your sin? And so in verse 39, let's see the choice that is made. Now it happened at the end of three years. No, excuse me, let's go to verse 38. And Shimei said to the king, the saying is good. As my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Akish, the son of Mekah, the king of Gath, and they told Shimei, saying, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord... And warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die. And you have said to me, The word I have heard 
is good. Now don't miss this. This is extremely important. Because you're saying, why would a guy get in trouble for going to Mount Vernon and coming back? Because why? This man was a rebel. This man was a traitor. This man was a mocker of God and he had been given a second chance. He had been given an opportunity to receive mercy and life. And he said, it's more than I deserve. It's good. Thank you for showing me compassion. I don't deserve it. But then when push come to shove, something more important, something of monetary value came up. And he said, all the mercy and grace that the king has showed me doesn't matter. I won't read the rest of that story, but you can imagine how it turns out. He's put to death. And you say, Jake, how does that correlate to the New Testament? I'm glad that you asked. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. How many people who have claimed Christ, who have repented of their sins, asked for the forgiveness and mercy of God, want that forgiveness until something better comes along? Oh, I love worshiping God. I love being a part of the local church. I love serving God. But Jake, you just don't know how busy my Sundays are. Or Jake, I know I should read my Bible. I know I should pray. But Jake, you just don't know how crazy my mornings are. Here's one that always hits close to home because I dislike the government so much. I know I should pay my taxes and render to Caesar that which is Caesar, but oh, if I could just figure out a way to get around paying any at all. How many people claim the forgiveness, love, mercy that God is willing to offer them until something of value comes up? Tonight what we see here is there's mercy and there's judgment And whether or not we receive it is a choice that we make. Tonight, you all have heard this. You've all been here for years and months and weeks. You've heard the gospel over and over again. You can recite it. You can repeat it. You can can sing it. You can talk about it. But I ask you today, if you are choosing the mercy and grace and forgiveness of God, what has Satan offered you? to lay it aside for. You say, not me, Jay. God, Satan doesn't tempt me like that. Well, do you remember after Jesus was baptized, Satan tempted him? He, he tempted him, right? You can just fall down and worship me and all of this can be yours. Or, or don't you know that the angels will come and minister to you? And then I want you to know something, that Satan works in the sneakiest of ways. Sometimes he works in the littlest of areas when he can begin to convince us that the death that Jesus Christ has died, the forgiveness that we have received, it is important to us until something we want goes running outside of the city. Now friends, I do not believe that you can jump out of the boat once you're a child of God. I believe that once God saves you, He seals you, He keeps you until the day that He takes you home. But friends, you can bring the judgment of God into your life in other ways. The correction of God into your life and into mine. 
I always get a kick out of it. People say, well, God just always blesses His church. He does. But sometimes He blesses His church through correction. Tonight, as a church, we have to remember that if we do not do things God's way, He loves us too much to just leave us alone. That's one of the most scary things about some churches that are small, that are dying, that are struggling, and they don't see the need to see God work and move. It's business as usual. It doesn't matter. Because what they're saying is God's taken His can of correction off of them. And tonight we should be praying, God, always keep your hand of correction on us as a church that when we go astray, you bring us back. When we get prideful, you humble us. When our focus becomes something other than Jesus, Lord, that you bring us back to that. As a family, I have to pray that for us. We are very competitive as a family. And I'm telling you, I've said this before, I would slide into my grandma at home plate if it meant winning. It's just the truth. And so for my wife and I, we are both competitive and we feed off of it and it's not a healthy relationship sometimes. Uh, and so we have to be reminded that while we want our kids to be successful and we want to win, and if you're playing against my kid, I don't care how much I love you, I hope she dominates you, all right? That's all there is to it. I don't care. I want her to win and be successful. But friends, look up here. If I give up everything God has given me for that, it's useless. And so tonight I ask you that thing that matters the most to you tonight, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a task, whether it's what God's called you to do, is it really because of Him? Do you really want to do it because of Him? I have to ask myself that on a regular basis of a pastor. Am I doing this because God wants me to do it or because I want to do it? I have to regularly get along with God because for me, it's not the fact that I want to do it because I like it. It's usually I have to get along with God and say, Lord, if you let me do anything else and let me find joy in it, I'll do it. About twice a year I have to get along with God, usually in November and about April. You say, why November and April? I don't know. It just seems to be that way. Every time of year I struggle with that. Lord, is this what you want me to do? God, let it be what you want me to do. God, give me a desire. Give me a passion. Give me an understanding, Lord, of what you're doing. Because I want the blessing of God on my life. The blessing of God on my family. And so tonight I ask you that in your own life. Will you choose mercy? Will you choose grace? Will you choose to treasure what God has given you? Or what would you throw it all away for? Tonight I hope that you say I wouldn't give it up for anything. There's nothing more precious to me than what Jesus has given me. And tonight, if you can say that, I ask you to put it to the test. Are you really willing to live that way and watch what God can do? Father, I thank you so much for your word tonight. Lord, I pray that you have been the one to work and move in this place. Lord, you know that these are not verses that we would choose on our own, but yet, Lord, you speak through your word. And so tonight, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be convicting, be encouraging, be drawing, be doing what only He can do. Tonight, Lord, don't let us worship You for false reasons, for false expectations, but humbly come knowing, Lord, that You can bless 
in abundance. Lord, tonight we know that you can do amazing things. And Lord, help us to want that and help us to seek that knowing that it brings you glory. And so tonight, Lord, for those that are hurting, for those that are struggling, for those, Lord, that need you, tonight, Lord, I just pray that you would show up in a mighty way. Lord, for anyone in this place that's not a Christian, that's never been born again, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show how much you love them, that you died for them, that you've rose again and can save them tonight if they'll call upon your name. And Lord, we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight, if you would stand with us with every head bowed and every eye closed, these altars are open. Tonight, for you to pray, for you to pray for someone else. As Jamie sings. have you been able to focus in on that one thing that you believe God has you here to do one task one relationship one situation that you know Lord you have sent me for this Lord you have called me for this and tonight can you say you have been treating it with the reverence and respect that believes that God has you there for that reason that God is working through you specifically, intentionally. Tonight, Lord, it's a great privilege for God to use us in the big ways, but also in the little. To that waitress you can encourage that's had a terrible day. To that child at school whose home life is a broken mess by just showing a little compassion to them. By being the mother, the father that God has asked you to be to your children. Whatever it may be tonight, will you take it as serious and significant and really believe tonight that God wants to use you, that wants to work through you, and that can accomplish amazing things if we'll just let Him. Tonight, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe tonight you're here and you're saying, Jake, I just don't see my purpose. I just don't see what God is wanting from me tonight. If you just slip up your hands real quick, I won't bother you. I won't come to you. I just want to pray for you tonight. Anybody here that would say tonight, Jake, I just feel like I'm drifting. I just, I don't know what it is God wants from me. Not a hand in this place. What that means tonight is you see the importance of what God has asked of you. Or you're not honest enough to say it. But either way, I hope you will live that way this week. Knowing that God has you where He has you for big things, even if you don't see it. 
As always, we want to thank you for being here tonight. And as always, uh, we pray that the Lord will bless you and work through you. This week, do not forget to pray for Melissa and Stephanie uh, this week as they uh, head to the mission field. Don't forget, Wednesday night, food and fun. You say, well, Jake, I don't want to play volleyball because I've heard how amazing you are and I don't want to be embarrassed. Hey, they'll have checkers. They'll have bingo. They will have something for you to do. Um, and so... Or if you're saying, I'm really good at volleyball and I want to be on your team, Jake, you can sign up at any point this week. Just let me know. But uh, we would love for you to join us. And I hope that you know that I am not kidding about that at all. All right? So, no. Uh, but we would love for you to be there Wednesday night. It's food. It's fellowship. It's, it's hopefully going to be a wonderful time of relationship building. As our church has continued to get bigger, as we have multiple services, it's easy not to know everybody or to, to think someone's not here anymore. And Wednesday night will be a wonderful opportunity for you to join us and be a part of that. Don't forget the 21st. If you um, know someone that would like to be a part of the child dedication, don't forget to remind them of that. And then Sunday night, the 21st, I'm asking you to begin to pray for that night. For Tim Lee as he comes and speaks. Uh, for um, uh, Ryan Stevenson as he comes and his band to minister. And the families that are going to be here. For our mission team, that is for those that are going to speak. Uh, tonight, I expect it to be a powerful night as the Lord works. And so be praying, one, for the lost. That they would come. That they would hear. That they would be saved. That the broken, those who might have been through trauma or difficulty in their own life would come knowing that it can be a night of healing and hope. And so we pray that you will be praying for that. If you would like to be a part of that night from a serving aspect, uh, I fully expect it to be standing room only that night. So we're going to need people to help usher. We're going to need people to help work in the parking lot. Uh, we really are going to probably need people to be altar workers. If you feel spiritually, you might be at a place where you can do that. See me. Uh, we are praying and we are preparing because we are expecting. And so if you're going to pray for rain, you better carry an umbrella. And so that's what we're going to do, expecting God to do amazing things. Uh, anything else tonight before we close? Don't forget to continue to pray for the Jeanette Gass family at the passing of her mother. Anything else tonight before we close? Uh, Brother Chris Houghton, would you close us in prayer?